You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again this morning and seek to understand your purpose and your will and your promises to us, I ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would give us the experience individually and as a people that you desire we have. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. December 26, 2004, Boxing Day began as any other beautiful day around the Indian Ocean. How many of you remember what happened that day? One of the largest earthquakes in recorded history. Hundreds of thousands of people died within a matter of minutes that morning. But on one beach in Thailand, there was a different story. There was that morning a young girl, her name was Tilly Smith, and she was visiting from England with her family on Christmas vacation. And that morning, as the water suddenly and mysteriously receded from the beach and just disappeared into the ocean, the people on that beach, on that resort, did what people, probably what we would do. We started walking after the water, right? Where did it go? What is happening? And as Tilly was watching what was happening, suddenly an alarm bell went off in her head because just a few weeks before, in her classes, she had studied about tsunamis and what happens just before the big waves come. And she realized that this is exactly what I studied about. And so she ran to her parents and breathlessly tried to explain what was about to happen. She finally got her message across to her parents and they went, found the uh, employees there at the resort and tried to communicate to them that there were some big waves that were probably about to come screaming onto shore. Somehow they got their message across to the, uh, the people that ran the resort and the sirens went off. And although hundreds of thousands of people around the Indian Ocean died that day, that morning on that beach, not one person died. The warning had been given and people had listened and they had followed it. Now Tilly instantly became a celebrity. And the nickname was given to her in the media, the Angel of the Beach. Let's look at another angel found in Revelation chapter 18. We know there are three, three angels in Revelation chapter 14, and we'll touch on those too before we're done this morning. But in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, we read this. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was what? Lightened with His glory. So we see here in prophecy that a time is coming and will come when God will lighten the earth with His glory. And this angel joins the first three angels in Revelation chapter 14. And the warning message will be sounded, and there will be people that will listen. And there will be some beaches here on earth, at least people on some beaches, 
that survive when that storm comes like an overwhelming surprise. Now, just so we are clear on what is happening, we read in the Great Controversy, page 611, regarding this verse. The angel who unites in the proclamation of the third angel's message is to lighten the whole earth with his glory. A work of worldwide extent and unwanted power is here foretold. Servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. How many of you would like to be part of giving that warning? Amen. Miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Thus the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their stand. Quite a view of things to come, isn't it? Where the power of God and the power that He does through His servants, that He works through His servants, lightens the earth with glory. Now, whose light is it? Who is the light? Jesus. John 1 verse 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So any light that we have is merely reflection. Whose glory is it? It's Jesus' glory. Colossians 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So Revelation 18 verse 1 gives us this incredible promise that we need to hang on to and pray for every single day, that Christ can and will shine through His people and His glory will be seen through His people and through His church. Now, light is an interesting thing. For a long, 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 long time, scientists referred to light as a wave. And for good reason. It behaves in many ways like an a, a wave. It's an energy. We know that it's on a spectrum of, of you know, wavelengths. And this was the conventional wisdom for centuries until a guy named Einstein showed up. And he said, not so fast, fellas. Light also behaves like a particle. It can bounce off of surfaces. It can be reflected and diffracted and refracted and so forth. Light also acts like a particle. Now, if we look at this and try to draw a spiritual analogy, as light behave, behaves like a wave, it's just energy, right? This would be kind of like the divine side of light. God is energy, right? He is spirit. Uh, a wave can pass through solid objects just as the spirit can pass through solid objects and through hard hearts. But light can also behave like a particle. And in that sense, it's very much like matter, just like we are. And so this debate has raged for most of the last century. How do we understand what light is? And then in 2014, a science lab in France uh, released this picture that you see on the screen here. And uh, they said, this is the first picture that we have of light acting as both a wave and a particle at the same time. Kind of pretty, isn't it? I'm sure they added coloring afterwards. I don't know what the original photograph looked like. And I have no idea how they got the picture. But here we see light behaving as a wave and as a particle. I think it's a good lesson for us. 
We can't explain how God promises to shine through us, but he promises that he will. What he needs is our choice and our will and our surrender to him, and he does the rest. So our first question today is, what will God's church do when the light of the world is shining through it? So let's look first at what did Jesus do in order to be the light of the world? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And our question is, what did Jesus have to do in order to be the light of the world? Because whatever Jesus did should be what we should be doing. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. You know this passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here's the point, friends. In order to become the light in this dark world, Jesus had to separate himself from what he had been before. Right? He could not remain the majesty, the divine majesty on the throne in heaven and at the same time be the light among men. So he had to separate himself from what he had been before. We could refer to this as the principle of division. It's very interesting when you look at creation week, how did God, how did the Spirit of God create physical life during those first uh, six days? If you look, uh, let's look there briefly. And we see that on every day, God worked on the principle of division, on the principle of separation. So on day one, Genesis 1 verse 4 tells us, God divided the light from the darkness. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So he divides the light from the darkness. On day two, look at verse 6. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it what? Divide the waters from the waters. So God continues working on this principle of division in day number two. On day number two, verse nine, God says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So on day two, God divides the waters vertically and puts the atmosphere in between. On day three, he divides the waters horizontally and dry land appears in between. But God is not finished yet on day number three. Because by the end of the day, vegetation and plants and flowers and trees have sprung up on that dry ground. And look what God says in verse 11. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And so God creates uh, the plant kingdom. And they're divided, they're separated, aren't they? According to their kinds. We move forward into day number four, verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for seasons or for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Verse 16 says, God made two lights, one to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. And so God creates physical life through the principle 
of division and separation. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, refers to creation week. And he says, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, or we, are without excuse. In other words, Paul is trying to say this. When we look at how God created the earth in the physical realm, during creation week, we can better understand what he is trying to do spiritually in our lives. On day number five, God begins creating the animals, doesn't he? And he creates some animals that fly in the air. And he creates some animals that swim in the ocean and live in the water. But they're separated. They're divided, right? And they multiply and they reproduce after their kind as well. And then we come to day number six. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And so as God creates man, humanity, he also divides and separates male and female. Our world has that one all confused today, doesn't it? And it's even coming into the Christian church, as you well know. Just saw a headline recently, June 12. That wasn't too long ago, was it? United Methodists see more than 5,000 congregations leave amid arguments over sex and gender. Friends, that iceberg is headed for our church too. And we better find out a biblical Christ-centered answer to this issue. Otherwise, we're going to sink just like the Titanic when it hit that iceberg. The Methodists have lost 5,000 congregations. We don't have a lot more than 5,000 congregations in North America. What will our answer be? Turn with me to John chapter 8. Now the message this morning is not on the gender issue, but I do want to stay here for one more moment. Because the debate in the world is, is it a choice? Or were you born that way? Turn with me to John chapter 8. Jesus in chapters 8 and 9 of the Gospel of John says twice, I am the light of the world. And it's very interesting in what context he makes those two statements. So John chapter 8 begins with Jesus going into the temple and teaching and preaching. And as he is doing this, a woman caught in adultery is brought to him. And you know the story. Jesus is challenged by those that have drugged this woman here, and he says, the law says that this woman should die. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him, right? And in their minds, no matter how he answers, they've got him. If he says, let her go, then he's not keeping the law of Moses. If he says, put her to death, like the law says, then they'll take him to the Romans and say, this man is trying to put people to death without your authority. You know, we need to pray for divine wisdom when we face these kind of situations. He'll give it to us. Jesus ends up diffusing the situation. And then he turns to the woman after the accusers have left. 
And he says, where are the people that have accused you? And she says, they're gone. There is no one. And in John 8, verse 10, we read this. When Jesus had lifted up Himself and saw none but the woman, He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Don't miss this. The woman caught in adultery meets Jesus in the temple, in the sanctuary. She is cured and forgiven of her sin. And then He tells her, go and sin no more. Now, did this woman choose to do what she did that day? Yeah, it was a choice. We don't know all the reasons leading up to that choice, but what she had done was clearly a choice. But the light of the world forgave her and had power to heal her. It is immediately after this in verse 12 that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now turn to John chapter 9. As Jesus is leaving the temple later that day, he comes across another person in just as wretched and pitiful a condition as that woman had been, but from very different circumstances. John chapter 9, verse 1 says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. Did this man choose to be blind? No. He was born that way. And his disciples asked him, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The world is debating on this particular issue of gender. Is it choice or are you born that way? And we can take the same arguments on either side in our church, friends. But the fact of the matter is the light of the world has power to heal and to forgive no matter what the reason is. And until we preach and teach and live that reality, that iceberg is going to continue screaming into this church just like it is every other. After Jesus heals, well, right after this, in verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And then He says in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Friends, the world needs to see Jesus. He is the answer to this issue and every other issue that will come our way. In order to be the light of the world, Jesus had to be willing to separate Himself from who He had been. And in order for His church to be the light of the world, we must be willing to allow God to separate us from anything that would come between us and Him. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Let's turn there. Paul again is writing, and he makes it very, very clear that as we choose, as we see Jesus, and as we choose to follow Him, it will result in division and separation in our lives. Now, Jesus had to be separated from all that is good. He had to be separated from the Father. Our situation is different. We have to allow God to separate us from sin and from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? 
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then this final promise in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 62. If you cling to self, refusing to yield your will to God, you are choosing death. To sin wherever found, God is a consuming fire. If you choose sin and refuse to separate from it, the presence of God which consumes sin must consume you. If we want to live with the light forever, friends, we must be willing to separate from what we have been before. It's uh, interesting that Ellen White's very first vision was of God's remnant people following the light as Jesus held His hands out in front of them. And they were traveling a narrow path. And as they traveled that path further and further, they became more and more separated from the world that was behind them. If we want to be the light of the world, if we want Christ to shine through us, we must be willing to separate from what we have been. What about the second question today? What did Jesus say that made Him the light of the world? Well, He said many things, many wonderful things throughout His ministry. We're going to look at one passage in John chapter 12 where Jesus summarizes what His mission has been, what His life has been all about as the light of the world. John chapter 12. This is just in the final days of Christ's ministry. And the cross, the shadow of that cross is getting bigger and bigger in front of Him. And what we find in John chapter 12 is the very final public address that Jesus gives to the world. Now, in later chapters in John and elsewhere, we find some things that Jesus says to His disciples privately. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 is all about Christ's final instructions and encouragement to His disciples. But in John 12, we have His last public address, at least in the book of John. Let's pick up the story in verse 20. There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee. And they desired Him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Do you believe there are people in this world that are looking for Jesus today? And Jesus is relying on us, on His church, to show them where Jesus is. So Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them and saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be what? Glorified. In Revelation 18, verse 1, what happens when that mighty angel comes down from heaven? The earth is flooded with light and glory from God. Now Jesus is going to explain to these Greeks and to anybody else who will listen what His message has been all about. 
What does Jesus say first? In verse 24, Jesus goes on. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Who is that corn of wheat that Jesus is referring to? It's himself, that's right. And so he's using this metaphor of planting a seed and letting it grow to describe and explain the everlasting gospel, isn't he? Now, he used his metaphor well. The average uh, wheat plant will grow about 100 kernels of wheat. And if we just do a little thought experiment here, if you, on year number one, if you took one kernel of wheat and you planted it in the ground, at the end of that year, if everything went perfect, if you didn't lose you know, any part of the plant, you would have 100 kernels. That's a pretty good return on your investment, isn't it? In the second year, if you planted those 100 kernels, at the end of the year, how many would you have? 10,000. And you get the idea. It's exponential growth. If you do the math on that, it would take somewhere between seven and eight years to produce enough bread to literally feed the entire world from one kernel of wheat. Jesus knew what he was talking about, didn't he? And so he begins this final public address by explaining the everlasting gospel and it all centers on Jesus, who He is, and what He has done as the Savior of this world. Now what does Jesus say next? We can jump down a couple of verses to verse number 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify Thy name. So Jesus has a message also about giving glory to the Father. In verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus also has a message about a judgment that is taking place right then at that time. In verse 32, he says, If I be lifted from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I'm thankful for that promise, right? That should encourage and strengthen us in our witnessing and in our evangelism because we remember that God is not trying to attract people to us. We're not the light. People will be drawn to the light. In fact, the love of God is so powerful, Jesus says here that people will be drawn to Him unless they make a conscious decision to say no. Now, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible... The red letters stop in verse 36. And between verses 37 and 43, you have black letters. This is John's inspired commentary. And he is explaining why so many people, especially of the rulers, ended up rejecting Jesus. It's a sad commentary. Look at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You would have never guessed that, looking at the stories, that many of those priests and leaders actually believed on Jesus, were convicted of his divine credentials. You wouldn't guess that. Why were they unable to take a stand for the truth? They were more concerned with what men thought than with what their Heavenly Father thought. 
So here's a warning, right? Do not follow men. Follow God. Now the red letters come back beginning in verse 44. And from verse 44 through the end of the chapter in verse 50, this is now Christ's very final, these are, these are His final words publicly to the world. Now if you know that you will never see a person again, if you know that you are about to die, what kinds of things do you talk about? Do you chit-chat about the weather? Or about the nearest ball team? Of course not. You talk about the most important things in life. And this is where Jesus is right now. He has just a few words left to share with the world. What will he focus on? Look at verse 48. No, 47. No, 46. Here we go, verse 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Then he says in verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Christ's last burden that he wanted to communicate and share was our response to the word of God. You know, this word, if we accept it, if we follow it, if we take it for ourselves and claim His promises for us, it's life for us, isn't it? But that same word that promises life, Jesus says, will also condemn me if I choose to ignore that word and put it aside. Verse 50, the last thing that Jesus says, I know that His commandment is life everlasting. The very last thing Jesus says publicly in the book of John before his last sufferings is a cry and a plea to keep the commandments of God. Now let's put all of these up on the screen here. What Jesus has said in John chapter 12. This is his last testimony to the world. He talks about the gospel. He gives a call to glorify God. He talks about a judgment that is taking place right now, a contemporaneous judgment. There is a call to worship Him, right? He says, all men will come to Me. Everyone will worship Me as I am lifted up, or at least all men will be drawn. We still have a choice. And then there is the warning to not follow men, to fear God, not man. And then the very final message, a call to obey God's commandments. I have a question for you. Do you recognize these things from anywhere else in Scripture. It looks an awful lot like the three angels' messages, doesn't it? In Revelation chapter 14. In fact, it's the exact same thing. In Revelation chapter 14, the first angel begins with the everlasting gospel to share with the world. And then there is a call to glorify God. Revelation 14 verse 7, for the hour of His judgment is come. Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And then there's the second angel's message. Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen that great city. Why? Because she hath made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In other words, this power has made people fear man rather than God. And then the third angel's message. 
The third angel followed them and said with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his right hand or in his forehead, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And we understand that third angel's message is a warning regarding the commandments of God. You see, Jesus in his life, what did the light of the world say? This message that we find in Revelation chapter 14 called the three angels' messages. Now, I'm going to ask you a really easy question this morning. It's still early, so easy questions. If Jesus gave the three angels' messages, what should we be saying? What should we be talking about? We should be talking about the same thing, shouldn't we? The three angels' messages. What will God's church say when the light of the world shines through it? It will say the same thing that the light of the world talked about. Let's not be ashamed of the three angels' messages, friends. And by the way, sometimes people say, let's not focus so much on the angels, let's focus on the gospel. But the gospel is the three angels' messages. That's why it begins with the everlasting gospel in Revelation 14, verse 6. And what does it mean to accept the gospel? That's why the three angels are there to help us understand. I want to share with you in closing a statement from Testimonies of the Church, Volume 9, that has really challenged me personally and has challenged our family, and I want it to challenge you this morning. Let's read it together. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 9. This is page 19. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. We are to allow nothing else to absorb our attention. Now that last sentence is a challenging one, isn't it? And it has really challenged me and my wife over the last several years. And I wanted to challenge you and your family and your local churches. What does it mean that nothing else will absorb our attention other than the proclamation of the three angels' messages? It's going to mean something different for each one of us. I can tell you that. But beyond that, you have to seek the Lord and ask Him. For some, it might mean remaining where they're at, doing what they've been doing, but with a renewed focus. For others, it might mean unexpected changes in their life. But if the light of the world is to shine through this church, we have to be willing to make that same choice that Jesus made and allow God to separate us from what we have been, if He so desires, so that He can shine through us. And we have to be willing to say the same things Jesus said and to devote ourselves to sharing the three angels' messages. I'm going to give an appeal this morning 
Do you feel the Holy Spirit calling you today to work full-time for Him, full-time gospel ministry? Again, what that means in each person's life will look a little bit different. For you to answer that call, it might mean that you stay where you're at, doing what you've been doing, but with a new passion, with a renewed focus. For others, to answer that call to say yes, Jesus may eventually ask you to make changes in your life, to move somewhere else, to do something different. But the appeal this morning, and if you feel the Holy Spirit calling you, I invite you to come right up here where we can pray together. Is God calling you? And do you desire to devote your life to full-time work for Him, that nothing else absorb your attention other than the proclamation of the three angels' messages? Is there somebody here this morning the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what I want you to do. If so, please come forward. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Jesus has promised that He will have a church that He can shine through. Come forward, we'll say a word of prayer together. This is a call to full-time devotion to the gospel ministry, whatever that might mean in your life. Is there anybody else? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the light of the world. And you have said that you want us to be light as well. We cannot do it. The only way is that you shine through us. Father in heaven, this morning, many have come forward answering your call to devote their lives with your help to full-time work for you. We don't know what that will mean, Lord, but we are committed to pray until you make it clear. So I ask that you will make this clear for each person that has come forward. And Lord, there may be others that have already made that decision in their lives and are continuing to try to follow that calling. Make it clear to us, Lord, and most importantly, send your Son, Jesus Christ, to shine through your people and through your church that we may give the warning message on our beach that no one that we know may be lost. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.